Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today, I would like to say thank you to Blueprint Medicines for their kind sponsorship of FACT's Roundtable podcast. Life, in general, can be challenging and fulfilling when living with food allergies. But what happens when your child begins to develop what you think might be food allergy anxiety? How do you identify it? And what is the solution? Well, don't worry. We will learn about tackling food allergy anxiety with a licensed clinical social worker, Lisa Rosenberg, today, who also lives with food allergies herself. Welcome, Lisa, to Facts Roundtable podcast. We're absolutely thrilled and delighted that you are here with us today to share your knowledge. I have been a fan and a follower for years, so I can guarantee listeners this is going to be a great podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so you know honored to be here. I appreciate being asked to be on the show. Fact was literally the first resource that I went to for my needs of how the heck do I manage life like this? So I'm I'm humbled to be here as like full circle, you know, of resources. This is perfect. We're going full circle now. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, let's begin our discussion actually focusing on you, if you don't mind sharing your background as a mental health care professional, and then why you're so active in the food allergy community, and again, even your experience with food allergies. Sure. So I grew into food allergies as an adult, and that kind of started my food allergy journey initially. And then I had kids and my kids both had food allergies. So here I am, right? I'm a parent of two kids with multiple food allergies. I have multiple food allergies at this point. And I was struggling. I was really struggling for how do I live, right? How do I do this life with all of these challenges with food allergies? And when I was looking for a mental health clinician that understood food allergies, nobody got it, right? Nobody was like, hey, yes, I understand that food allergy anxiety is totally different than general anxiety and how to navigate that. And lucky for me, I was able to kind of use my networks and figure out the people that I could find to help me. And once I got, you know, I figured out how to live as a food allergy parent and as a food food allergic adult, I took my personal experience and then my professional experience as a licensed clinical social worker. And I said, hey, I can help people. They won't have to explain what it means to have food allergy anxiety and why it's not irrational to be afraid of food when you do have food allergies, right? And so I started my business and I have never looked back and it has been 
awesome to truly empower people within the food allergy community to live life. I know what it's like to be stuck. And I I love being able to help others earn their own, I should say, learn their own path to how to make it work for them, how to make life work for them and so that they can enjoy. I love your energy. And listeners, if you could see Lisa, her face is just lit up and glowing and smiling, and it's just infectious in terms of, I can feel Lisa's got solutions, and she's going to help people get to those solutions. And it's just so uplifting because this is such an overwhelming journey sometimes. I mean, you can just really feel like you're at the the bottom of the barrel and you just don't know how you're going to climb out. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting just to hear what you just said, I have solutions. I don't have solutions. I listen to what my clients have and say, hey, do you recognize you did XYZ and you can apply that to ABC? And they go, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way, right? And so that to me is awesome to help people see the power that they have already that they don't necessarily see when you're in it, right? And when you're stuck. That is so, so true. So let's dive right into the conversation, starting with the question, can a person develop anxiety focused explicitly on managing food allergies? You kind of mentioned that a little bit already. You know, so for example, can people only have anxiety that's based on food, eating or managing their allergies, but no other types of anxiety? Sure. Great question. So the answer is yes, there's definitely um, times when it, it, there is a really specific focus of anxiety just around food and eating and or managing food allergies. Oftentimes that anxiety, that specific anxiety comes from some type of traumatic experience. So whether it's a parent who, you know, witnessed a food allergic, a food allergy reaction for their child, and that was traumatizing, and now they're struggling to navigate life after. Um, whether it's a child experiencing their own reaction and, you know, struggling with eating after that response. Sometimes it's never been there that food allergy anxiety hasn't been activated, but there might be a situation, a transition of life or a new job or young adulthood phase that all of a sudden the way that they lived with food allergies and functioned before isn't fitting into that new way of life. And there's a, there's that stuck feeling and you, you get that heightened sense of anxiety around food because you feel like, Oh my goodness. I don't know how to do this anymore. How do I live safely now that I'm an adult going to happy hour with my coworkers or off in college? Right. And, and so that can be triggered in that way. So transitional phases, trauma experiences. But the, I will say there's often that joke amongst my clients and I, and, and we say, and amongst the, the mental health clinicians in our food allergic space, we say, you know, Our clients come for food allergies, but they stay for life. In that, typically, when we look at our own food allergy anxieties, we're often functioning at a higher level of anxiety in many different areas of our life. And right now, like when people pick up the phone to get help, it's because there's 
often a really strong heightened specific anxiety focus around food. And then when we explore greater areas or multiple areas of the client's life, it's like, oh yeah, I've always functioned that way and been anxious about this and anxious about that. And we look at patterns. And so the answer to that question is, can there be specific food allergy anxiety? Absolutely. Oftentimes, is it only food allergy anxiety that we're that we're looking at when we're looking at treatment planning? More often than not, there's other anxieties around other things in life, which is common and normal. You know, that exactly happened to my son, and he knows I talk about this, and he's given me his blessing. You know, but in graduate school, he got diagnosed with food allergy PTSD. And diving into it, he also discovered that he had some very natural, you know, anxiety that's been taking place for years. And so he's been dealing with a food allergy element and he's been dealing with some other elements. And then once he finishes grad school, um, they're going to pick up the pace on the food allergy part. He's in Chinese medicine school, so it's highly intense. And and so with his therapist, they've kind of mapped out a plan. But it was really interesting to see exactly what you just said, that there were some other elements and things going on. And he is just picking up tools and he is just getting happier and more in control. I don't know if control is the right word, but but feeling more grounded and able to tackle the things that come along. And his life is just improving day by day. Yeah. He's empowered. He's getting more empowered with the skills. Yeah. That's the word empowered. That's yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now speaking to parents and caregivers of children through, we'll say, 12th grade, how can a parent identify food allergy, anxiety, or even, you know, generalized anxiety? Like, are there any red flags or anything that people should be looking out for? Yeah. So oftentimes something as simple as just asking yourself, are food allergies getting in the way of me or my child doing things that I want to do in life. So for example, do we not go to restaurants at all because of our food allergies? Are we avoiding traveling because of our food allergies? Are we not having play dates or sleepovers because of our food allergies, right? So if the answer is yes, food allergies are not allowing me to live the way I do, I or my child truly want to live, that's a red flag. And that's when, if you feel like I don't know how to do those things that I want to do, I know I can, but I don't know how, that's when it's often that red flag of being like, hey, I need someone on the outside to help me figure this out in a way that I'm stuck with right now. I can't figure it out. Well, you know, and speaking to that, if you don't mind talking just briefly, like, overall generalized like on therapy? Because I know some people think, well, I can only go to therapy if I have a problem or there's something wrong with me. I'll, I'll hear that often. You know, even when we started therapy for my son, he was in kindergarten and he was developing some anxiety about food allergy. And then a friend who also had a son with food allergies that said, hey, you know, do yourself your favor, go get some tools. And I was like, oh, well, you know, is this enough? Is this worthy of a therapist? You know, she kind of laughed and she's like, anything is worthy. So if you don't mind explaining, you know, therapy in general and what happens. Sure. So That's a great question. You know, the way that I look at therapy and every clinician is different. So my philosophy is I'm here to work with my clients to identify what it is that isn't, 
that they feel isn't working in their life and why they picked up the phone for therapy or sent an email to begin with. And then explore, okay, well, let's see what you've done in the past to get through the challenges where you've been, where you felt successful. Where are your skills? Where are your tools? Where are your support systems, you know, internally, externally? And then look at how can we apply those things that you already have to this situation and look at it in a different lens or with a different lens? Because we're not reinventing the wheel, right? This is like, when you think about it, we use the same skills over and over again in life to solve our problems. Sometimes those skills aren't applicable to our current situation and they just need to be tweaked a little bit. And it helps to have that outside perspective to say, hey, I'm hearing you can do X, Y, Z. Did you think about doing it in this way? And people are like, oh my gosh, right? And so that's what I see therapy as doing is giving you a different lens, helping you identify within yourself and your own networks what's already there that you can use maybe in a different way to be able to live the way you want to live. The other thing I wanted to jump back to was one of the other ways to identify food allergy anxiety once you identify, hey, maybe there are some red flags here. It, we're, we're not doing, we're not living life the way we genuinely want to live. You can find a clinician that is able to um, use the scale of food allergy anxiety, which is a validated evidence-based tool measurement that clinicians use to kind of get a more objective measure as to like, mm, is how, how much is this affecting your life in a more concise way? And it's called the SOFA school, scale of food allergy anxiety. This is really great information. And you know, this is exactly what my son experienced when he was five. We went in and they talked about what was going on and, and then looked at what we could do. And actually we came up with a plan that my son would choose three things that he could do to be empowered to feel safe. And he did those all the way up through high school. Yeah. And and it was just, like you said, pulling out what he already had and yeah. seeing it in a different way. Yeah. You know, I will say one of the other things when people are looking for therapists in this space, especially, I have found it tremendously helpful for my clients to, I'm trained in um, EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And I, that's a trauma, it's an evidence-based trauma treatment. And people hear the word trauma and they go, oh, I haven't been through trauma. But when we explore that further, what that looks like, it's not always a big T trauma. It could just be something simple, but it's stuck and it triggers us still. And so oftentimes that can be helpful, EMDR work parts work or internal family systems work along with that. So, you know, I personally find that a clinician who doesn't just use one modality of therapy, not just maybe talk therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, but a, a multitude of evidence-based treatment modalities can be really helpful in getting the full picture of healing. Because sometimes it's just tools that we're missing and it's more, you know, let's find solutions. And other times it's, this is a really stuck deep wound and we're, you need to work through it in a different way. And together is when that, those two things together can really be powerful as the therapeutic process works. So you just mentioned evidence-based. Can you just give us a quick 
uh, explanation on what evidence-based means? Sure. So evidence-based modalities means that this is something that has been researched. It's been in published research articles in peer-reviewed journals, nationally, internationally. It's something that there's a lot of data to support that it, it's effective. There's no harm in doing it to anybody who, who does, who utilizes this modality. And so we really, as a clinician, we should be using, you should find one, someone that is only using evidence-based, well-researched modalities to treat different mental health challenges. Perfect. Thank you for that explanation, that yeah. little sidebar there. Yeah. So now that we have a better understanding of food allergy anxiety, how does one tackle the food allergy anxiety? So what do you suggest would be next steps if a listener is suspecting some food allergy anxiety going on for the child or for themselves? How do they go about finding help and support? So that is a great question. Um, well, it really kind of depends where you're located. As therapists, we have to be licensed in the states that you're in to be able to provide you with therapy. Um, and I will say, I mean, I personally, I am only telehealth and I'm licensed in eight states in itself. So I, I'm Delaware, Florida, Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Vermont, and Utah. But if you are unable to be in one of those states, I will say there are a network of clinicians with food allergy knowledge. And the best way to find them is to Google the terms, you know, food allergy counselors uh, near me or in my area and see what comes up. Excellent tips. Thank you so much. Well, the time is absolutely flown. I could sit here absolutely all day with you. I just think your knowledge is so deep and you just speak in such a relatable way, but we have to wrap up. I can't believe it. So is there anything else you would like our listeners to hear from you? No, I mean, I appreciate, you know, being able to have this conversation and, you know, to be able to let other people know that this is real and it's common and there's a growing network of us for a reason. So it's, you're not alone in your journeys and we are here to su provide support and help you navigate it because just because your food is, might be limited, your life doesn't have to be. And that is really my motto as a, as a therapist. And so, you know, um, I can be found at safeandincluded.com because our goal in life is to be safe, but also included in life. Right. And that is how I roll. So you can find me there. I know that there's other resources that I'll send out or that fact has on their site to live life in all different ways. So. I appreciate that fact is a wealth of knowledge and resources for our community. Well, we appreciate your love and support. And listeners, I will make sure I'll have all these links in the show notes so you can follow Lisa and find her website and follow her on social media. And I'll include some of those facts resources as well on behavioral and mental health. But thank you again, Lisa, for your time. I know you're incredibly busy. We've got the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology conference coming up. And then I think Quad AI. So we really appreciate you spending time with us because I know you'll be presenting at these different events and we'll be looking for you there too. Fantastic. Thank you. 
Before we say goodbye today, I just want to take one more time to say thank you to Blueprint Medicines for their kind sponsorship of Facts Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.